Back when I started Deadeye, I knew I wanted to innovate the barbecue game. Since day one, we've offered a premium barbecue product unlike anything else on the market. Great Aunt Irene had something special tucked away on a recipe card in her cupboard, and there was no way we weren't gonna do something about it. So we decided to take it one step further, introducing Deadeye Superfood Barbecue Sauce. We've got five new flavors, graviola, acerola, pink guava, acai, and dragon fruit. They're the first of its kind, and they're packed with flavor. Find it at your local grocer today or at deadeyebbq.com. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. On behalf of University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital, thank you. To the thousands who support us, welcome to the Iowa family. Our hearts are full from this one spark of kindness from Carson King. It inspired so many to come together for the kids. For the kids. For the kids. For the kids. Your donations will help families and kids in Iowa, the country, and around the world to live a better life today and in the future. We are forever grateful. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of this amazing story. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners Just to try to get some supper in our hands Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest Green buddy murder until someone understands That it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women I make this noise just because I can And we'll all join in To that original sin So let's get rowdy and rowdy Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society and brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best damn barbecue sauce in the known universe. You can find them on the web at deadeyebbq.com and you can find us on the web at thetailgatesociety.com. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing today? Freezing to death. I'm freezing. You're July. Freezing. It's like 75 degrees today. Overcast, rain for two days. I, this weather's got me all messed up. I, I would love to take some of that rain from you up here in Minnesota. We still have not. Every time I, I see people in Iowa talking about storms and rain and all of that stuff, I look out at my brown, dry, dead lawn where the only thing that grows is weeds. And uh, I get a little, I mean, don't get me wrong. I haven't had to mow my lawn nearly as much this summer as I have in the past. So I'm not entirely sad about it, but uh, I would take some of that rain. So if you want to send it up my way, please do. Uh, well, you can have it. You can have it. The boys went to Ames yesterday to go to perfect games with some friends of theirs. It's really the first time that they've went somewhere with friends without mom and dad. And sure enough, they had decided to leave right at five o'clock and there was a tornado warning oh, like in Madrid that they were going to drive through. And it was a hairy 45 minutes of Stacy, like constantly watching the TV and watching the boys on their phone and they made it home safe. But that know, would, that would stress me out too. Absolutely. Stressful. I, yeah. don't, I don't like driving in storms. I, did, I mean, I don't like driving in general. I'm, I'm weird like that, but. And of course I'm over here going, Oh, the weather says it'll be fine till like six 30. They'll be fine. And I knew it started getting bad. <laughs> She was looking at me like you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, which I'm sure is is a look that you're probably well accustomed to at this point. I get it all the time. It's fine. (laughs) Well, excellent. Um, well, I'm excited to talk to our guest today. I think this is going to be a fun one. So, Chris, I will let you go ahead and introduce our guest. Yeah. So uh, we would love to welcome on Old Man's Drink Carson King, uh, fellow Iowa State graduate. Carson, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, super great to have you on. And uh, I think a lot of people kind of know you from afar, but we thought we'd bring you on and uh, learn a little bit more about you. And uh, I would love to know just some things about that day and and how crazy that was and and what you were thinking. But, you know, first, I guess we should start off with is uh, you went you went to Iowa State when? When did you go to Iowa State? Uh, I started uh, the class of let's see, fall of 2014. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I was there for, I don't know, four years, I guess. And then moved <laughs> on. Four, four years or so. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> I know. I, I hear you. I, I think my four year degree took, I don't know, six. <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Shipley, we should probably for for some of our listeners who don't uh, aren't familiar with with Carson's story, um, uh, maybe Carson, do you want to take a second to tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 um, kind of what the background behind your whole uh, claim to fame is? Yeah, so uh, basically, I'm a big football fan, uh, Iowa State fan. Um, all my friends and I went to the Iowa Iowa State game in 2019. They ended up getting game day. Uh, there was a last second loss by like Syracuse uh, the week before, so they were supposed to go to Clemson that week and um, be there for Syracuse Clemson. They canceled it. Came to Iowa Iowa State. First times game days ever been in Ames for football. Uh, so obviously, we were all stoked. Uh, we decided we were going to get there early. We we're going to bring signs. We we're going to try to get by the stage, see people, everything. Um, all my friends decided they weren't going to make their signs. I was like, yeah, I think it might be funny if I asked for beer money. You know, and I don't <laughs> think anyone's actually going to see it. So maybe someone behind me sees it, sends 20 bucks. And there we go. We've got a case for the day. Um, so at like 10 o'clock the night before, went to walmart got a giant poster board and i already had a sharpie then in my terrible third grade handwriting i scribbled out bush light supply needs replenished with my venmo account and uh you know i think it was like at three o'clock we left for ames got there and we were already too late the game day stage was packed there was no way we were going to be anywhere close to the stage we looked over and there's a small little circle stage kind of up in the corner we're like, oh, maybe that's where they're going to do like one-on-one -on -one interviews or something. You might get to see David or Maria do a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone. So we stood there, plus we had a place to lean and set our drinks down. Um, then all of a sudden we look up and the entire game day crew came to us. And uh, it was really cool. I mean, they all came strolling in. I remember Kirk Herbstreet stood right in front of us. He was wearing this, uh, this crimson blazer. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then, uh, you know, they came around, they shook all of our hands and I was like, oh, well, here we go. I held up my sign. Um, and then it was on TV for a few seconds. Uh, then after they left, my uh, buddy Tyler looks at me and he's like, hey, who keeps blowing up your phone? Someone's really trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, I don't know, I don't talk to people. And uh, I looked down and it wasn't my messages. It was my Venmo account. And I was getting notifications on my Venmo and I had over $400 in like 30 minutes after, uh, we, after, we got, after we held up my sign. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a great night out on Welch. Um, <laughs> the people around us knew what was going on. So they were getting updates. And as we went, it, you know, it just kept growing and growing. And then pretty soon we hit 600 bucks. And I was like, well, I think there might be a better cause than my own good time. Uh, out on the town with my friends. So I decided what I was going to do was send all the funds, but enough to buy a case of Bush Light uh, to the University of Iowa State Family Children's Hospital. Um, so called my parents, told them, you know, what was going on. And then by the time uh, the tailgate for game day was over, we had 1600 bucks post on social media, what was going on. And then it just kind of took off from there. Um, really long game. So I actually, uh, my phone died because of my phone my uh venmo notifications so that was cool but we, we ended up uh you know game didn't turn out how we wanted but we got the fundraiser started then i think we didn't leave the stadium until like midnight that night it was such a long game and then uh the next morning i don't know who was listening who was watching social media or whatever but i got a phone call from one of the local des moines uh radio stations like hey can we bring you on and talk to you i was like yeah sure why not this is cool 
Um, so on Monday I had like, Oh, I don't even know. It was, it was like five or 6 AM. They asked me to come on and do an interview with them. Just like, okay. Then I don't know who was listening, but shortly after that, I started getting phone calls from all over the country asking to do interviews about the fundraiser. Uh, I had phone calls from Anchorage, Alaska, Orlando, St. Louis, uh, San Diego, New York. I even had phone calls from international uh, news stations out in Brazil and England and Australia. And that was something that took off. Um, By the end of it, we had over $3 million raised uh, from over 35,000 different donors in all 50 states. Um, It was it was something. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> Let me ask you this. So you're, I mean, Monday morning, it's it's at a fairly high amount. You start getting these phone calls. What, what do you tell your work? Like you, you had a job, right? So what do you, I mean, what do you tell your work? You're like, listen, I got, I got this stuff I got to do. So, I'm uh, off or something. I mean, because it seemed like you were all over the place. So the whole time I was still working, um, I worked the three to 11 shift. <laughs> so I was just scheduling everything that they asked for phone calls in the mornings. And then I would go to work that afternoon. And then uh, I think it wasn't really, I didn't really have anywhere to go, so to speak, until after uh, it was Thursday. I had Wednesday, Thursdays off at the time. And that Thursday, I got a phone call from Good Morning America. And they're like, hey, you want to come out to New York and be on Good Morning America, do an interview with Michael Strahan? I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's then, a dumb question, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Michael Strahan was one of my favorite players growing up. So that was like a dream come true. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're like, all right, your flight leaves in four hours. And I was like, oh, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me call work real quick and tell them I'm not coming in. And uh, I worked for Prairie Meadows. I was one of the security supervisors at the time. And they were really cool about any time off I needed. They would help me out. Um, my coworkers would cover my shifts, all that fun stuff. So I just gave them a call and they got it taken care of for me. So I was able to fly out um, like any normal 24 year old dude. I brought my parents with me. So my first time <laughs> being in New York. <laughs> so uh, it was a it was a really cool time. It was a cool experience. Uh, when we were flying there, I got phone calls from a bunch of different uh, news stations, TV stations, radio stations out there in New York that found out I was coming that wanted me on. Um, you know, Fox, ABC, NBC, CNN, ESPN, all kinds of different ones. Uh, so we kind of just made the rounds. It was a really really cool time. Um, but it was it was busy. I don't think we had more than like a couple hours of downtime at any given point. So it was cool. It was a good time. Had, had you been out to, to New York before then? Nope, I had not. So, so your first visit to New York, you didn't even get a chance to like see the city or anything other than the fact that you're just bouncing from place to place. Yeah. I mean, right on the very last day before our flight back, we, uh, we took a double decker tour around New York, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize exactly how big New York was until like you're flying in and we flew in at night and basically it seems like everywhere you get from Michigan over it's just all lights connected Mm -hmm. whereas like when you're in the Midwest like everything's sprinkled out it's like everything is so close and so big out that way that you just all you see is lights at night from the towns it's really sweet that that entire weekend that game was it's two years ago and it's still um crazy to think about the three really major storylines obviously the game and the rain delay and the terrible way we lost with that freaking muff punt mm-hmm. your story and then the band story like kind of i mean that those two weeks after that game were just a shit show with stories and and and, and what happened yeah band gate i remember that I was that was something wasn't it it was uh yeah well i mean that just tells you how much the iowa state game means to the state of iowa i guess there's always something that comes out of it so what made you say what made you think of uh the university of iowa's steed hospital was it because of they were playing iowa in the wave and things like that or yeah so did you realize like you said you know once you were at 600 dollars, you figured like did you and your buddies talk about that or did you how did you come about that 
So what I did to decide on the Stead Hospital was actually ended up calling my parents and asking them about it. Uh, they were all at my parents' house, my brother and my sister doing a ta little tailgate event themselves. And I discussed what was going on, had I all this money, I wanted to send it to charity. So we talked about it and we thought, one, it'd be a cool way for Iowa State to get involved with the University of Iowa, because obviously Dance Marathon helps out mm -hmm. um, with Iowa State. They send the money to the Stead Family Children's Hospital, but you know, Kinnick has the wave, which is the coolest tradition in college football. So I was like, well, maybe this will kind of be the little Iowa State nod and it's homage to, you know, the our Super Bowl here in the state. So I thought that would just be kind of a cool little tie coming out of the, the Iowa, Iowa State game was the money goes to the hospital that impacts not only just University of Iowa, but the entire state, the entire Midwest, the entire world. I mean, they have, uh, I think it's like a 70% survival rate since 2000 for premature babies born at like 22 weeks gestation, where in the entire rest of the country, uh, that's 6%. So they're one of the leading hospitals in the world for premature babies. And I mean, they're a research hospital, so they have different treatments and everything they do. They're really impressive and I think they could use any support they can get is it helps out so many thousands of thousands of people yeah you know for folks that aren't familiar uh the University of Iowa Children's Hospital the the whole um I mean the the Carver's it's the Carver School of Medicine right anyway it's uh it's it's um I a world-renowned thing that if if you've had anyone in your life that's impacted that has had to send their kid uh, to the Stead Hospital, you realize how amazing everyone there, from the medical researchers to the doctors down to the day-to-day -day staff that are interacting with you. Um, it, it, it's not just that they're doing great things medically, but they're, they just have the entire package for, for helping a family through, you know, I can speak as a parent, I've not had to deal with that but I can imagine um, what it's like to, to go through some of the challenges those parents are, are faced with and the friends and family that I know that have uh, utilized their services have, have spoken highly of from the, the moment we arrived to the moment we left and then after as well. So uh, just a phenomenal children's hospital, just a phenomenal uh just institution as well. It's, it's really interesting. I got to do a couple tours of the hospital and meet some of the staff and the doctors. And um, one of the things that stood out to me was even the design of the hospital. It's meant to tailor the families and the kids and their treatment. Like all the rooms are on the outside and any equipment, anything that makes noises that might disturb people, it's all in the very center of the hospital and like these two main uh, like elevator chutes mm -hmm. so that they don't have to go and bring people through hallways they can just go directly out of the whatever elevator it is and go straight to their room like the whole layout the design the color schemes everything's meant to be a calming experience and then the uh, child life specialists they're really cool group of folks that make the kids feel like kids again because they know something's wrong but obviously you know it's it's draining on them so they take them out they do activities they just make them feel normal which is so important in their healing process and that also gives mom dad grandpa, grandma, brother, and sister time to kind of decompress, go on a walk, take a nap, take a shower, get something to eat, and just kind of unwind for a little bit because the parents and the family members are who the kids are looking to for strength at that time. And if the parents are breaking down, that's just going to make it worse on the kids. So what they do is just absolutely, they're unsung heroes. And I, I think that was just one of the coolest things that I saw with them. That is really cool. I, I know from a parent's perspective, uh, my stepsons, Josh and Jordan, have Williams syndrome, and we make yearly trips to Mayo. But when they were younger, before I was involved, they they were spent a lot of time at Mayo Clinic and at the Ronald McDonald House, and and kind of the same deal, right? I mean, they that entire thing, especially the Ronald McDonald House, is structured to make it easier on families for them to still be a family, they, to be together, to have some comforts at home, to have some normalcy, and to to make sure that those kids have as much as they do as far as still being able to be a kid. It's so important to them, for sure. So as you started to uh, get this involved, I assume, I, I, was some, for what, 
let me back up. Sorry. Did someone from uh, Stead reach out to you or how did you actually end up getting hooked up with them? Well, basically uh, a couple days after we announced it, I think it was like that Monday or something. I ended up calling the center for advancement. Um, they're the ones that are in charge of like the fundraising for the hospital and everything and talk to them about what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And then they said, all right. And I, you know, said, I wanted to set up the, the King family fund um, that they could pull from and we could, you know, have different funding for different projects going on, different things like that. Um, and I actually got to sit down with them and talk about where I wanted the funds to go. So we talked about doing the neonatal transportation units, um, which go pick up kids from all over the Midwest and the state that are born premature, as well as it's basically um, a mobile life, life flight NICU program that these kids can uh, get the treatment they need because a lot of these hospitals are not prepared to take on kids that are born that early. Um, well, these units can go pick them up and give them, it's basically a neonatal unit on wheels, a NICU on wheels, um, which is super important. Um, continuing educations for doctor and nurses, because obviously, you know, they want to be bet the best they can be at their craft. And if we can help out in a way, that's fantastic. Uh, the child life specialists, making sure that those guys get our, um, enough, are staffed and have the training and have the resources to do that. And just different things that contribute to directly the child and families, the treatment, the clinical needs for the families. Um, so we didn't want admin fees. We didn't want anything like that. I didn't want people building something. I didn't want people replacing water fountains in there. I just wanted it to go directly to the kids and the families that are in need. So at what point did Venmo and Bushlight come in and say, hey, did they contact you and say, hey, we want to hop on board with you? Or did they just go with that announcement? Like, how did that relationship start to develop too? So they both actually found and reached out to me on Twitter because um, I had tagged them in the original post we put on Twitter. And uh, I think it was, oh, it was right before, I think it was like that Wednesday or Tuesday, maybe um, right after it happened, they both reached out and were like, hey, we've seen the story. We like what's going on. We want to match whatever funds come in your Venmo account. And uh, which at one point yeah, I was, was sure they probably thought, well, we're talking a couple of grand. Right. They probably. Oh, yeah. They were not prepared. For, <laughs> oh, for yeah. What was gonna happen. Originally, they uh, so I actually got to visit the Bush marketing headquarters um, in New York and they showed me the board at their their Bush light uh, marketers and uh, they had the original sixteen hundred dollars and then they just crossed it out once I would give updates and wrote it down. And it just kept going and going and going. And like, they first <laughs> they first saw it at sixteen hundred dollars. And then they just kept watching it and watching it and then decided, okay, this is a good idea. This is something that's really cool. It's getting a lot of traction. Let's, uh, let's jump on board and match whatever this is. And then throughout it, when it kept going and going, once I hit 50,000, I messaged them. I was like, Hey, I'm at $50,000. Are you guys still on board with whatever we raise? And they're like, yep, absolutely. We got it. Whatever you raise, we raise. So they did, they were, they were in it the entire time. So I, I can't, so you said 24, right? You were 24 years old? I was 24, yeah. Okay, so I can't, Chris, I don't know what you were, you were probably just graduating college at 24, uh, Chris. <laughs> but, Gotta take a shot. I mean, I it's not untrue. I was 24, but, but just for the listeners, that was Tim taking a shot. Yeah, um, but I can't, like, I think back to years ago when I was 24, um, I think I would like just to, you know, sit down with the folks uh, at Stad to sit down with the folks uh, at Anheuser would be, you know, one thing to go on Good Morning America to have all of these things going on. Um, I think I can't imagine handling it with without just looking around feeling overwhelmed and feeling like, holy shit, what is going on the entire time? Um, at least from my perspective, you had a lot of poise with all of these things. Um, I, what was going through your head when you were going through all, when you're going through all of this though? Oh, I was terrified the entire time. <laughs> I mean, I'd never done like a live interview before. And my first one was on live on Good Morning America. Um, so I was actually sitting backstage and I was shaking. I was 
tremendously scared. And then Michael Strahan walked up and he looked at me and he's like, Hey, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Gave me a hug and walked on. And then that was like, okay, well, I think everything's going to be all right at this point. Um, because I'm talking about something that I'm passionate about mm -hmm. and people know I'm not a professional speaker by any means. So as long as I'm not dropping F-bombs on live television or something, <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay. Um, it was, it was really overwhelming. I mean, it was a lot. It was just constant updates and phone calls and TV interviews and magazines and newspaper. And it was, it was a lot, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was for something that was way bigger than myself. And so I think that's what kind of just honed everything in and was able to just kind of keep it poised was, you know, there's kids that are relying on this media coverage for treatment and pa families and parents and the hospital staff themselves that this could do a lot of good with whatever funds we're able to raise. So I think that's what kind of was able to keep it kind of calm and collected. What about your family and your friends? How are they feeling as they were watching you go through all this? They thought it was really cool. Um, I know uh, a lot of my friends were getting like, oh, you know him? That's so cool. And they're like, that's just Carson. I mean, he's a normal guy. <laughs> it's like, there's kind nothing special about me. I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> See, my buddies would have threw me under the bus. Let me tell you about real Chris. He's yeah. Oh, yeah. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole facade. He's not that nice of a guy. That's what they say. Let me tell you about the time he peed his cans and pants in kindergarten. Like, like stuff like that. <laughs> Dude, that was told in confidence. <laughs> But I would imagine like, you know, you said you took your parents to New York with you. So I'm sure they were helping out with a lot of these things, too, because it had to have gotten just daunting to even be able to respond to all these requests and 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 manage all of that as well. You don't you don't have a PR person. You don't have, you know, an agent or a, a personal assistant or anything like that. So I, I'd imagine it got to be a point where you felt like you weren't even getting back to people in a timely manner and all of, all that bullshit. So. Oh yeah. We were, we were trying. I mean, I know everything that came in with emails, phone calls, text messages, I would just put on my calendar on my iPhone and uh, just call it good. And then throughout the day, I just wouldn't plan anything. I just made sure I had free time on whenever these things were scheduled and it just kept piling up and going. And that's basically how I handled it. Well, that's fantastic. And it's fantastic. You mentioned uh, your employer at the time, Prairie Meadows was, was, you know, it's great that you have, an employer like Prairie Meadows that is very charitable in and of, you know, their own right that I think they probably were, were excited to be able to, to be accommodating and helping as well. Um, but still just the, the demands on your time had to have been uh, daunting. Oh yeah, it was, but you know, we made it work. It was only two and a half weeks, the whole fundraiser. So, you know, at the end of the day, by after that two and a half weeks, I was able to get some good rest. I think I slept for like three straight days. So <laughs> it was all good. we made up for it. Uh, what about uh, when you went to the Iowa game and you went to Kinnick and the reception you got there? What was that like? And props that to was, you for still wearing your Iowa State stuff. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, that was something. Um, I don't know that there's ever been an Iowa State fan uh, walking into Kinnick by themselves that have – gotten cheers before mm -hmm. i think that was that was probably a first um obviously everyone there was very supportive very kind um at the end of the day we're all iowans we all care about a lot of the same things you know whether that be taking care of our communities our kids our families um and just bettering other people uh it was it was a really sweet experience i mean i got to go on the field and do the wave i got to tour the hospital um, i got to go to the Farron's family tailgate after the game, which was really sweet, I actually met George Kittle and C.J. Beathard, which are two of the nicest guys. Um, George Kittle is exactly how you'd think he is, too. So just looking at all his interviews and the stuff he does on the field and, like, his personality, exact same thing when he's off the field. He is the most goofy guy. Um, he, I mean, he, he does look like a goofy guy. I'll tell yeah, you. Like, he yeah. does. He is such a cool guy. He's very down to earth. They both are. there. C.J. Beathard is actually a very quiet dude. He's uh, you wouldn't be able to tell that he's, you know, he doesn't walk around and throw himself out there. Like he's an NFL player. Mm -hmm. He's very reserved, very calm. He, if he was just walking, you'd think he's just a really tall in shape guy. And that's what <laughs> he would think. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's 
fantastic. I like you said, you're probably the first Iowa State fan showing up to to actually get applause. Uh, Chris mentioned earlier Bandgate and all of that, so there's obviously some animosity and some vitriol in the rivalry. So it had to have been good to be able to take something that constantly gets filled with kind of hateful comments between petty fan bases and kind of re-anchor it for everyone on, hey, uh, wouldn't it be great if we took this rivalry full of spite and brought it into something that could be beneficial, like you said, to the state and to the families and the communities as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the end of the day, there is something bigger about the game than itself. It's something that incorporates, you know, people from all over the state, all over the Midwest that are Iowa, Iowa State fans. And it's something that they can look forward to every year and be proud of. And, you know, they can really, they, people, a lot of people with both fan bases, they're very passionate and they invest a lot of time and energy into, you know, justifying why Iowa's better, why Iowa State's better. And then you get, you know, you and I and Drake thrown in there, you know, justifying why they're better. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're both incredible universities in their own rights. I mean, obviously, Iowa State has the most incredible agricultural programs. Iowa has their um, law and their doctorate programs for medical fields. They're, they're absolutely outstanding. And uh, everyone should be proud of their universities and each one in their own rights. Yeah, it's pretty heated even this weekend. If you've seen Cyhawk Twitter at all this weekend, it's been brutal. I, I, I literally just tweeted out, you people are exhausting. This whole recruiting back and forth that you got going on this weekend is, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Let's, I mean, we can, we can fight and argue for a week in September, but mid-July over a defensive lineman, like you people need a life. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. Oh yeah, I just point, I just sit back and watch it all. I, I don't I don't engage on the old Cyhawk Twitter much anymore. I just kind of watch and and get good chuckles out of it. Well, I wondered about that. So that was going to be one of my questions. Was is prior to all this, how much of a hater were you, and now do you feel like you've toned it down a lot now that you've moved over and kind of see the other side and 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 met some people on that side of that are genuinely nice people, right? Like I, I was a pretty hardcore Twitter, you know, Cyhawk, the Hawk fans suck ass and, and things like that. But since I've started this podcast and since I've done some of the fundraising and got and interacted with some of these people, I don't do that as much because I value what they think and I value their opinion and I value them as people too, because there's some really cool people out there on that side too. There really is. Yeah, and yeah, listen, you, there's some shitholes on our side. There, I mean, there, there's some on both sides. I, that's a whole nother podcast. We can list those people. But. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I grew up a Hawk fan uh, when I was younger. My entire family's Hawk fans. And then, like, I think it was my freshman year of high school, I switched over. Uh, my friends got Cyclone Club passes um, so on the hillside. And we went to a game. We tailgated. Then we walked around campus afterwards. And that's when I fell in love with Iowa State. Um, so I've never really hated Iowa at all. I've actually, you know, I've still enjoyed them. I'm one of the guys that's like, you know, if they're not playing Iowa State, yeah, I'll root for them. I don't care. That's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still a school in the state of Iowa that's out there performing at a, you know, Division One level. It's still pretty cool to watch them. Um, and I've actually had a lot more friends that went to Iowa than they did Iowa State. Uh, my closest friend group, obviously, are Iowa Staters because we live together, but you know, I'm, I like them both. I'm not a, I'm not too big of a hater. That's so, kind of how I was. I, I grew up an Iowa fan. I, I was a big fan of Chuck Long and the, and the 85 team and, and things like that, which is by the way, way before you, Carson. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I've kind of gotten that way too. I'll watch Iowa and I'll root for them. I, I can't say though, that if they lose, I don't, I don't want to tune into WHO and listen to the meltdown and the excuses and get a little pleasure out of it. But I don't root. I don't openly root for them to lose. So at all. Yeah, I I grew up the only cyclone, at what it seemed like the only cyclone at the time, uh, in in my town because my parents went to Iowa State. Uh, more kids from my graduating class ended up going to to Iowa State after the fact, but it seemed like I was the only one there. So I had, I had learned um, 
<laughs> it, was, it was almost a learned hatred for how much because it was also, you know, during the 80s when we couldn't uh, buy a win against them. Uh, and so it was it was kind of hard for me to 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 get over kind of my hatred. Now I live in Minnesota where I went to the first game at TCF Stadium where it was the Gophers against Air Force and the student section uh, broke out into a chant of who hates Iowa, we hate Iowa, when the Hawkeyes had nothing to do with that. Like that's how much they seem to hate uh, the Hawkeyes. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I still maybe think some of that reputation was earned. Um, but uh, no, I I appreciate that. You know, so many of of those kids on, you know, those teams are from from the state of Iowa. So, like you said, this is this is a state of Iowa family more than anything. So, um, I I can absolutely appreciate that, and, and I'm glad that you kind of help bring that perspective to people. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Carson King Foundation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So basically after we did the donation of the little over 3 million, I think it was like 3 million, 4,000 something. Um, one of the reporters asked me, he's like, well, what's next? And my thought was going to go back to work and live a normal life. And I was <laughs> thinking, well, I don't know. I've, I've kind of learned a little bit about this and I've kind of made some connections and I've got a decent amount of pull now with, within different, you know, communities why don't I try to start something that continues to do this, you know, full time, but on a volunteer basis. So I looked into it. I got a hold of some people, made some phone calls, uh, filed some paperwork, and I got a 501c3 started and started the Carson King Foundation. Um, I actually started started working on it the day after the donation. On it was a was it the Iowa Penn State game? It was like uh, October 11th or 13th or something like that. Um, started working on it and we launched it on Super Bowl Sunday of 2020. Um, and it's basically a, a nonprofit organization that helps uh, kids and families around the state, as well as helps communities uh, unite to support each other. So we don't actually provide a service. So we're able to donate to any nonprofits, charitable organizations, um, hospital groups, any food pantries, anything like that, that provides services for people. So we've got a lot of free reign to support a lot of different people. Um, we picked a horrible year to start a nonprofit, uh, with <laughs> pandemic, but we actually, we made it out. Okay. Um, our very first one we did was a t-shirt fundraiser back in like March of 2020 for mental health services. When COVID first started, people didn't have their physical outlets. You know, they couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't go see people. They couldn't see their friends. They couldn't go and hang out and do sports together or anything like that. So obviously people's mental health was suffering. Um, and it wasn't getting a lot of attention. So we decided, well, we'll do it. So we started a, a t-shirt fundraiser. I partnered with my friend, uh, William with Iowa love shirts. Um, he's a local Iowa owned clothing brand that incorporates a lot of different Iowa businesses and they give back a portion of all of their profits to charities around the state. Um, we did our first fundraiser. We were able to raise over $40,000, uh, on the very first one that we split up oh, wow. between four different uh, mental health resource centers around the state. We did through a Bonsi Mental Health Resource Center in Clorinda, uh, which is where I was born. We did NAMI and Please Pass Love out of Des Moines and the Blackhawk Grundy County Mental Health Resource Center out in Blackhawk and Grundy County. Um, there, obviously, they were doing a lot of really cool things to help people during the pandemic, whether that be uh, mobile crisis units, whether that be uh, virtual counseling, anything like that, they were finding ways to get people and get them the help they need. And uh, we decided that we would uh, jump on board and help them out in any way we could. And this is uh, this is actually my my puppy Ames. So, oh, nice. Awesome. I wonder what <laughs> um, the drinking was. That's fantastic. No, but I, we did yeah. that. And then right after that one, we had a couple different uh, food pantries and the derecho happened, um, caused extensive damage across the state. We did another t-shirt fundraiser since we couldn't really do any events and uh, were able to raise close to a hundred thousand for uh, storm relief that we sent off to different organizations that were uh, helping out. We had a dedicated fund set up with United Ways um, where they didn't have any admin fees come out of it. It was directly associated with storm recovery efforts from the, for the counties affected. Um, you know, food pantries, homeless shelters, things like that. 
And then I've partnered with a bunch of different organizations and nonprofits around the state that are helping out in different ways. But, you know, we're still growing. We're really small. Um, so we ended up setting up a website with kind of the basic rundowns and social media. It's CarsonKingFoundation.org. Um, so that's just kind of we're growing slowly, but we're trying and it's all volunteer. We don't have any overhead. Um, I actually pay for our website. It's like 13 bucks a month through GoDaddy. It's really it's pretty cheap. Um, we got our we got our office space donated to us, so it's it's pretty sweet. It's a good deal. No, I like that you took the the George Costanza. I think I could be a kick-ass philanthropist thing and actually ran with it. <laughs> we try. Um, yeah, no, I I think that's that's fantastic. Um, if if anyone wants to get involved, are, are there events? Are there opportunities? How how do how do our listeners uh, contribute or help out in any way? So I'm working on some events. Uh, obviously, I have two full-time jobs, so it's a little bit uh, stress for time, and I don't have the most open schedule for planning. Uh, but I am working on a couple of events for this upcoming fall, which uh, we'll be announcing on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff, as well as um, we do have links set up where you can just go directly donate on uh, CarsonKingFoundation.org under the donate tab. Um, I'm going to actually, I've been actually working on trying to get mailer lists set up so that if you want to follow it, we can send you updates uh, via email about what's going on, the cool things we're doing each month, things like that. Cool. So what's it, what's it like to, I always ask the silly questions. Tim's all serious and so on. <laughs> what's it like to introduce an entire old generation like me to Venmo? Cause raise your hand if you didn't know what Venmo was before Carson King held up a sign. It was pretty sweet. I know I, I hear that a lot. I've never heard of Venmo before, before your fundraiser. Um, I know it was really cool. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a neat little thing. I mean, I know my friends and I have had it for quite a while because it's just really simple. If we go out to the bars, we, you know, someone buys a pitcher or we go stay somewhere, we need a hotel room, split an Uber, things like that. Um, so it helps out a lot because it's, you know, it's just quick. It's easier than carrying cash. Um, but it's it was interesting. I mean, I know they're a branch of PayPal, but otherwise I didn't really know much about them other than you could hook up your bank account, send money to your buddies. That's, that's really all I knew about it. And then they ended up having a whole bunch of different organizations. They help out. They did this big giveaway where they, they did like a little lottery thing. And if you just retweeted your Venmo account, they would send you $500. If they picked like however many people. And that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so there's kind of this whole, if you look into it, there's this whole online Twitter philanthropy community um, that I think it, his name's Pulte. He started it. He's with Twitter mm -hmm. philanthropy and basically him and all his followers just send money to one person to help them out if they're in need. And it's just kind of like our fundraiser. It's just kind of a grassroots effort to help people out that need it. And yeah, uh, I've it's, seen him. it's really, really interesting little, uh, little deal. There's a lot of really cool ways to help other people out because sometimes the ones that want to help out the most aren't the most financially stable to be able to do so. So yeah. a bunch of small people sending in, you know, five cents, a dollar, that all adds up that's like our fundraiser for the hospital. We had people sending in anywhere from five cents to 1500 bucks. So all of those donations added up and it in turn turned into over 3 million bucks. Yeah. And, and I would imagine for them, I mean, Anheuser-Busch, they, they were well-known, they were established. I mean, they, I, I'm sure whatever recognition the fundraiser gave them was, was marketing dollars, but Venmo, there's no way they could have paid for the amount of marketing cash aid that they got out of that, uh, even by don't even by writing that check for the donation. Um, I can imagine what their business expanded and exploded into after that. I know uh, there were a lot of people from international uh, countries because Venmo is just a United States company. It's only available to United States residents. Um, they had people from all over the world asking on how they can get a Venmo account and expand in to help, you know, with the fundraiser. And then it's just a cool idea. So how can other people in different countries get a hold of this? So I know it set them up for pretty cool uh, potential expansion opportunities going down the road. Yeah, for sure. I, I said, I, I ask all the, the funny questions, but I am going to, I'm going to ask you about the, the, the register article and not in any way, um, in a bad way, because I, I, I think it was unfairly written. 
but I guess I, what were your first reactions when you heard about what was in the article? And then the, the absolute craziness that happened afterwards when people came out to defend you. So I was actually sitting at work when I got a phone, when I got a text from the, the reporter telling me, oh, hey, I found some tweets. Uh, they're referencing Tosh.0 from when you were, you know, in freshman, maybe sophomore in high school. Which Eight again, raise ago. your hand if you're old enough that you don't know what Tosh 2.0 was. I don't know. <laughs> He's I'm uh, so old. I'm just saying. I have no. I, I read that and I was like, I don't even know what the fuck that is. All non comedian. He's a. He has a. He takes YouTube videos and gives commentary on it. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, those are stupid jokes, bad attempts at humor. Obviously, when I was uh, in 2012, I thought a lot of different things were funny that really aren't as you grow older and mature. Um, so it wasn't. It wasn't really, I didn't think it was an attack on me. I thought it was just, you know, they thought it was in their mind, it was the best thing to put those in there and see what happens. Um, you know, I thought everything they did, you know, they were very kind in their coverage. It was a really, a really good article. I mean, it was very, you know, it was a shining article. It was nice. Um, and it just got way blown out of proportion. It was, people got really upset about it, uh, that it was included because they thought it didn't relate to the story at all. They thought it was an attempt, a uh, shot of character, um, you know, and then obviously a lot of people, dropped their subscriptions uh it ended up it was i'm sure there's a lot more leading up to it but the directors for ragbri split off because they didn't want to be associated with it anymore um there were a lot of people that got really upset about it and they went back and they found the reporters tweets uh that were really unsavory worse. as well yeah. uh, <laughs> I would say worse. Uh, a lot more recent um and it just kind of gave people a chance to sit back and, you know, think before you, you know, throw the first stone, make sure you don't live in a glass house um, and take a look at their own social media efforts, their own digital footprint. I know when I was in a sophomore in high school, you know, in 2012, um, it was just me and like 28 friends and we just shared memes and articles to each other. And that's all we did. Um, and now it's such an important thing. It's a very important topic. I mean, when you're applying for jobs, for scholarships, for anything, your social media gets vetted. People go through it and they see, you know, what kind of person you are, what kind of things you're interested in. Um, it's really important. And people just kind of brush that off. They don't realize the impact that their digital footprint has on their current life, um, which is kind of, it gave me a little opportunity. I've been able to actually start a speaking circuit and I go to uh, businesses, high schools, uh, colleges, middle schools, and I talk about the power of social media, um, small acts of kindness, uh, integrity, things like that. And when you tell people, you know, exactly how important it is, and you kind of give examples and, you know, the different dangers that are out there, it's, it's really important. Um, it's incredible because when I was younger, everyone was like, oh, well, watch you post on social media. And you're just like, whatever, old person, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> That's not true at all. They're in, listen to your parents. They're wise. They know what they're talking about. I had a conversation with Caitlin, who uh, is my daughter. She's a, she'll be a senior at Iowa State this year. And she, uh, I would say maybe four or five years ago, she called me. I was driving somewhere and she had um, tweeted out or, or texted something or whatever. And it kind of blew up and, and went around her school and so on. And I was like, listen, you guys have such a shitty deal dealing with things like right now. If, if, if I, if there was social media and the amount of eyeballs and the amount of scrutiny that happens now would have happened to me when I was in high school, I can't even imagine. I, I made terrible ideas. I made terrible jokes. I made terrible decisions. I'd make fun of certain people or whatever. The only difference was, is I didn't have an outlet where 10,000 people could see it within seconds. So this generation has to be so much more careful, but we sometimes have to remember that they're going through the same adolescent decisions that we made when we were a kid. You know what I mean? And it's just, unfortunately, it's in it. We're in a, we're in a worse position in a world where that shit can, can haunt you. I mean, even now today, I might find a TikTok video that's really funny that I might text to, to Caitlin or text to my wife that I thought was funny. But if people saw that and then there'd be somebody that would be offended that I thought that that was funny, regardless of what it was. And it's the whole growing process as well. I mean, people learn and they grow and they change. They realize what's right, what's wrong, what's OK to joke about, what's not OK to joke about. And, you know, it's just part of being human and the steps you take 
one of the things I talk about is, you know, when you're growing up, when you have a little brother, little sister, a daughter, a son, um, you applaud them when they make efforts to walk, right? So whether they fail at the end of it or not, you're cheering them on the entire way. After you get older to a certain point, you don't cheer the attempts. You only cheer the successes. So the failures are just shunned and it's a growing process and people learn from that. Um, and I do think like, you know, the whole cancel culture thing, it has a place holding people accountable for their actions. That's important. I mean, people see that they learn what's right, what's wrong. They grow from it. They move on. There are instances where that's super important. I mean, that's an incredibly important thing for people to see and mold themselves and shape themselves and other people's to learn lessons off of that person. It's really important, but there are situations where, it, you know, it's not quite as prevalent, but at the same time, there are times where it is prevalent. Yeah. It was, it was all just a goofy space for me. It's like, you know, you were, you were a minor at the time and not to say that like, minors should be given a free pass for everything that they do but like you said it's literally this growing changing impressionable impacted by social media by the media at large by your friends by everything else um yeah i i i wasn't calling for anyone's job but i was one of those that definitely felt like what the hell does this have to do with anything I'm not going to go interview his third grade teacher to see if he was a good student or if he was a hellraiser in class, because that does not matter about what is happening today. I think also at the time that it happened, there's such a, a prevalence right now of the media not sometimes doing what their intentions are supposed to be, which is to just report the news and just report the facts as opposed to throwing in things that will cause them to get clickbait and more eyes on it. And I think that was that was one of the deals where I think a lot of people were very upset because this is one of the few feel-good stories that was happening. And somebody, whether it was the reporter or his bosses or whatever, I have no idea, made a conscious decision to put something in there in their mind to ensure that it was controversial and to get more clicks and more eyeballs on it. And I think that's where the general people were like, why can't we just have one story that's an amazing positive story without that aspect of it? I think that's where a lot of people were angry. That's where I was angry at. Um, that's, I think what bothered me the most was is I just didn't see the point of it other than the fact that they just felt like they had to put something in there because then people would go read the article. Yeah. I, I, to add on to that, I would say, you know, the clickbait aspect, but then I was also worried about the impact that it would have on corporate donors wanting to now distance themselves. Which uh, happened. Right. Which did happen. And needlessly so, in my opinion, um, That is really ridiculous. Like Chris said, like we, you have a lot of people saying, well, we need to distance ourselves that grew up without social media, without thinking about the skeletons in their own closet type of thing, which are, aren't even real skeletons, right? Um, and so I think that was the, the biggest frustration for me is for people to start to kind of pull away and it kind of killed the momentum I feel like was going on um, needlessly. In, in my opinion, I, I don't know. I, how did, how did the corporations kind of respond with all of that? So it was obviously Bush dropped any, you know, correlations, any sponsorships, anything like that, which wasn't what we were doing in the first place, but they still matched their pledge for the match. Whatever's in my Venmo account, mm -hmm. Venmo stayed alongside the entire time. They didn't falter. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that controversy actually helped the fundraiser. Because at the time, we were at a total of 1.14 million when that happened. Um, and then within a couple of days, we hit 2 million. And by the end of that week, we hit 3 million. So I think at the end of the day, it was all for the good. It helped raise more money. It gave people a chance to learn lessons about themselves and, you know, kind of reflect on their own, their own social media usage, their own, you know, skeletons in the closet before they go and they, you know, they, they shine a spotlight on other people's uh, falters in their past. But I mean, it was, 
it was all right. I think at the end of the day, it was for a good, it was for a good reason. It was for a good cause. If people can learn some, you know, lessons from me going down the road where I was just a regular guy trying to do something nice, see how your past uh, retweets, um, you know, your past senses of humor and stuff can impact your future and the current you. Um, I think that's, that's an important lesson that people can learn. Well, Carson, you're certainly more gracious and humble about all of that than I think either of us would be. (laughs) Uh, So I appreciate that you're, you're taking something that could be seen as an overwhelming negative and, and you didn't get bitter, you got better and you turned it around into something uh, a lot more positive. So I appreciate that about you. So thank you. Thank you. Tim stole my thunder. I was going to thank you too. (laughs) In in actuality, I I mean, it's not a lot of people would do that. A lot of people would get resentful and would look at it and, and, and take it into a negative. But for you to be able to see that that probably pushed you to the end and caused people to give more money and taking that negative into a positive is, is, is very commendable. Absolutely. So what are you doing now? What are you doing now with your time? Other than the foundation, what, what's Carson King do for a good time and fun? And Well, so uh, my career's changed quite a bit, a couple different times. Um, so back in beginning of, 2000, of 2020, I uh, took a career change. and went part-time at Prairie Meadows, gave up my supervisor spot, and I started working for the Barrett Bozen Foundation, which is a children's charity out of Waukee, um, as the director of outreach and advancement, which was really cool. Uh, it was a fantastic job. And then COVID happened. I couldn't do event planning, you know, fundraising. I couldn't in good conscience uh, ask these small companies to donate us money when they weren't sure if they were going to be able to pay their mm-hmm. own. Employee. Um, so I got laid off from that. Uh, I, my brother has a roofing and remodeling company called Iowa Legends, uh, which donates a chunk of all their profits to my foundation, um, which is really cool. I started working for them doing uh, designing, remodeling, sales, uh, roofing, all that fun stuff, um, doing a little labor jobs. And then I went back to Prairie Meadows. So now I'm part time at Iowa Legends. I'm full time back at Prairie Meadows again as one of the security officers out there on the rapid response team. They're armed guys, um, which is a really fun job. I uh, you get a hang out in the casino all day you get to talk to a lot of different people you get to see people from all walks of life coming in how they interact it's really fun um a little stressful sometimes obviously but pretty fun um then i'm huge into kayaking i love being outdoors fishing all that fun stuff i spend a lot of time with my nephews um i have two nephews now uh there's there's one there's a picture that goes around that has me in uh in Kinnick in all Iowa state gear with a little, little dude in Iowa gear. And we're waving at the hospital together. That's my nephew Reed. Um, he's a massive Hawkeye fan. And then I have another little nephew named cash. Um, he's almost six months old now. So I spend a lot of time with those guys. Um, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty normal, dude. I'm really not that interesting. <laughs> I, uh, I like simple things, you know, I like so football. Like Tim. So you yeah. and Tim are a lot alike. Then. Yeah. Yes, uh, generous, humble, but normal guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How pumped are you for uh, Iowa State's football season? You know, I, on a side note, I, I met you. You probably don't remember, but I remember I think it was we were sitting Texas Tech game. Texas Tech it. game. Yeah, I walked over and introduced myself. Yeah, so yeah, I, uh, I posted a picture of where I was sitting, and you commented, and you're like, that looks like exactly where I'm sitting. We looked I, over, and you were like four rows away back behind yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> So is that where you normally sit? I, so I'm one of the people I like to get the student section tickets still. And I'll sit, I love section um, W is my favorite area. It's right by the 30 yard line on the second tier. Yeah. I love that. spot. That's more my favorite. Um, My season tickets this year are, I think there's section. I can't remember where they're at. They're like maybe section U or section V over there on the second tier. Um, but I like up there cause you can see the entire field, but otherwise I'll just kind of mix around and sit where my friends sit. We've all got season tickets scattered wherever. So if there's sure. a couple of spots after like the first or second quarter, we'll go sit by each other. Or we'll just tailgate one of the two, but I'm so excited for this year. I'm, I think this is going to be one of the best Iowa state games we've ever had. I think Iowa state has their best chance to finally beat Iowa. Campbell will get his, get his first win against Kirk Ferentz. 
Um, got a fantastic team this year. Everyone's coming back. And with the new NIL laws, I'm really excited with all the stuff that those athletes have, their opportunities they have coming up. So it's cool, like, seeing, you know, uh, Purdy and uh, Hall with their different endorsements mm -hmm. from, like, Cyclone Fanatic for their shirts and stuff. That's really neat. And it's it's pretty cool. I'm I'm excited. It'll be a good year. Me too. I'm super excited for, for this year and, and going to the UNI game. We were just talking this morning about tailgating and, and what we're going to take. And, and, and I, I told my wife, I said, you know, normally we'll, we'll go and we'll kind of slide in three or four hours before the game. I was like, I'm every game. I don't care. I'm going at six hour. They open up the tailgate slot. I'll be in line waiting to go. Uh, and if it's a November game, I'm tailgating for six hours. I don't care. So I'm super excited too. Be a good good year. I, I was trying to go to the Vegas game, but against UNLV, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get the time off to go. But well, uh, I got the Iowa game off at least, so that's the big one. So how insane is that going to be? The I, I mean, as big as it was two years ago, it's going to be even bigger. I think I like the tailgating, whatever, and, and I don't see game day coming back. But surely if game day comes back, you have to be the celebrity picker, right? Like that's gotta be you, right? We'll see what happens. I think it'll be a really big game. Um, hopefully everything keeps going well and we've, we're able to pack as many people in there as we possibly can. Uh, I, I don't think game day is going to come back for Iowa, Iowa State this year. Um, I mean, maybe the Iowa State-Oklahoma game we might get um, game day. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if they did, that'd be fantastic, and I would be all about being the guest picker. But obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of actual famous people out there that mean a lot more to a lot of people. So I'm not going to be upset if I just get to sit in the stands and watch. It. <laughs> True enough. Well, Carson, we appreciate you being on. Um, Chris, is there anything else that that we wanted to ask him? Well, let's let's finish up with with our question that we typically ask at the end. Um, so we normally ask this question at the end, and this is kind of how we wrap things up. What would you define success? And by that definition, who's the most successful person that you know? Oh, I would define success as the legacy you leave behind yourself and the position you set your um, your family and your community up in when you go. Um, so in my mind, like the most successful people would be, you know, grandpa and grandma that have all the grandkids, they live a steady, stable, retired life. They're able to support their, their family. So I think the most successful people I know would be my grandparents. I like that. that Fair enough. Great a, answer. That's a good answer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I hope to be half as amazing as my grandpa was for sure. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, well, Carson, again, we thank you very, very much for taking time out of your day to join us. Uh, one last opportunity to plug any social media, any other types of things, any websites that you want to plug. So floor is yours. All right. Uh, Carson King Foundation is CarsonKingFoundation.org. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, on all that. And then my personal Twitter is at CarsonKing2. Um, find me on there. I've got pretty spicy memes and stuff we share <laughs> <laughs> i love it well thank you very much carson we really appreciate it once again you guys have been listening to old man strength a podcast of the tailgate society please check us out on the web at the tailgatesociety.com on twitter at tgate society you can find us at strength underscore old uh, Chris is SciGrad, SciDad. I am Tim Johnson, MN. We have t-shirts for sale. Chris, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the t-shirts and the, the charities that we're giving to? Yep. So for the remainder of July, we are selling Old Man Strength t-shirts uh, in uh, UNI Panthers, Iowa Hawkeyes, and Iowa State Cyclone Colors. We've chosen three charities to represent those. Uh, the Cedar Bend Humane Society in Cedar Falls, uh, the University of Iowa Steed Family Hospital, and then, of course, the Jack Trice Legacy Foundation. All those proceeds will be split three ways, but we want to see who has the most passionate fans. So go to our Twitter account at strength underscore old. At the top there is the link 
to purchase those shirts. And uh, let's see if we can raise some money for some great organizations. Well, fantastic. Uh, I think that is all that we have. A lot of great content at Tailgate Society. So please go ahead and check us out. Please check out the Carson King Foundation. And uh, boy, Chris, anything else that I'm forgetting? We are good. We're out. You and I are going on vacation, right? I'm going on vacation. You're going on vacation. Yes, we, we will be out for a little bit. So we will catch up with you guys when we get back. But once again, thank you for listening to Old Man Strength. And we will see you guys next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin.